to Reworking Talent, the podcast that tackles the top challenges in today's small business-focused talent market. I'm your host, Brent Scott, founder and CEO of Found Consulting. We are growth-centered people operations and recruiting consultancy. And joining me, as always, is Lindsay Warren. She is our talent operations manager. And uh, I will say, recently went to Disneyland and uh, <laughs> is still a Star Wars geek. <laughs> Confirmed. Yes. Um, we are here to give actionable advice to business leaders and aspiring business leaders, both on a personal as well as an organizational scale. And today is an episode near and dear to my heart because we're talking about interview processes and uh, what makes a good interview process and also what companies, what business leaders should be thinking about when designing an interview process. Because believe it or not, it should be intentional. It should be an intentional process <laughs> that you actually give some thought to. So uh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna discuss the, the ins and outs, uh, the things that should be considered when designing an a interview process. Um, and also, what makes an effective interview process? Brent, I'm going to throw you a, a quick softball here. So you've been in this for over 10 years. You've been a part of many different processes. So in your opinion, what is the ideal candidate process? Oh, man. Well, I am a consultant, so I will say it depends. <laughs> Typical consultant answer. Um, yeah, it's going to depend. It depends on the level of position that you're hiring for. It depends on the specialty of position that you're hiring for. Um, and it depends on your company uh, and, and who's a part of your hiring team. Um, so I don't think that there's necessarily a, a one size fits all, but I do think that the ideal interview process is going to answer, is going to effectively answer a few different questions. Um, and that is who, that is the how, and as kind of a, a piggybacking on the how, uh, how do we know if this person is successful? Um, so if if an interview process, if if you can design an interview process to uncover those three things, um, I think you've done a good job. I think you've designed a successful one. So, and uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that we'll get more specific down the line. Speaking of specifics, let's get into timeline before we go too much into the who, how, and success. Let's talk about how long this should take. So yeah, what's your recommendation? Yeah, this is a this is a topic that hiring leaders love to talk about, um, especially when there is a recruiting team involved, be it internally or externally. Um, executives love to think about time to fill. Um, the thing that people don't consider, especially executives, sorry, executives, uh, but I I'm I'm gonna have to shit on you a little bit, um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the thing that is not considered when thinking about time to fill is the internal resource dedication that it takes 
to get someone hired. Because holy moly, as a recruiter, if if I had unfettered access to someone's calendar to change whatever I wanted to get to get in front of people or get a candidate in front of people whenever I want, the interview process would go real quick. Uh, we'd we'd be uh, finding a, a qualified candidate within maybe a couple of weeks. Um, and then we'd get that person hired within a week. But the reality is things don't happen that fast. People have their own schedules, their own calendars that need to be managed. So um, so we have to, as recruiters, manage that. Um, so to answer your question about timeline, I think uh, average time to fill in today's job market is right around, I believe it's like the 48 day mark is time to fill from opening a position to getting someone hired. Um, now the number of factors within there, um, that need to be considered any successful interview process should have SLAs. Um, there should be service level agreements on how long each stage should take, how long between the communication internally and externally. And what I think is reasonable and what's proven to be successful for me throughout my career is roughly 48 hours. Um, mm -hmm. If you've got a candidate into the interview process, especially in those deeper stages where they're dedicating some serious time, you know, beyond that discovery call, they're actually sitting on Zoom calls with executives. Maybe they're going back to back. You don't want to keep that person waiting more than maybe three business days. Um, you should be able to make a determination after an interview um, of whether that person is going to be successful on your team or not. And you should be respectful enough of that person's time to be able to get back to them in a timely manner. Um, so I think that 48 hours is really ideal between each step, even if that means that you're rejecting that candidate, but especially if you're excited about that candidate and want to move that candidate forward. I think that that's, that's important. So, uh, so I guess uh, thinking about, let's just say, for example, a, a three interview process from start to finish, that process should really take no longer than two weeks, um, mm -hmm. depending on schedules. Now, of course, uh, the way that schedules work, probably more like three weeks total. But uh, uh, regardless, once you start stretching into the four plus week mark, too much. let's, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's honestly, if your process is taking more than four weeks for one candidate from start to finish, they're probably scratching their heads wondering what kind of organization you are. Um, and, and quite frankly, I think that's unacceptable. Um, so if your interview process is taking more than four weeks, you should probably evaluate what's going on internally that's making it take so long. Yeah, let's, and I want to dig a little bit more into that process, specifically about how many people should actually be involved in the interview process, what stacking interviews can do or how that could help move things along. Um, I mean, as we all know, people, time is money. So especially with some of your hiring managers or team members, they're probably 80 to 90% billable. Mm -hmm. So if you want to just see 
10 different candidates and you're throwing so many different interviews your way, you're losing out. What's the opportunity cost at this point? So let's, yeah. uh, let, let's talk a little bit about who should be involved and what that should look like. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great, that's a great point is the opportunity cost of taking those internal resources, your most valuable resource, which is your people mm -hmm. and using up their time. Um, so, uh, there's a, a great, pretty legendary statistic out there. Um, rework is a book written by Laszlo Bach. He is, or he was the chief people officer at Google really in the, like the heyday of Google's employment brand when everyone wanted to work for Google because of all of the amazing perks, the interesting work. Um, he was the guy leading that. So uh, there's a statistic in his book uh, that, um, at least amongst recruiters, is, is pretty legendary. And that statistic is the number, the ideal number of steps in an interview process and the ideal number of people in an interview process. So Google, <laughs> they're very fortunate. They have tens of thousands of people that work for them, uh, which also means that they can afford a whole people data team, people analytics team. <laughs> yeah. Their whole job on this team is to analyze data on people, whether that be uh, candidates applying for roles at Google, whether that be their own internal employees. And so they undertook this, this study to figure out at what percentage can we identify how successful a person will be at Google? How many steps does it take? And what they found was they could predict a person's success at Google, a candidate's success at Google, with 86% accuracy after four interviews. So four interviews with four different individuals at Google total. After that point, there were diminishing returns. So every subsequent interview, five, six, seven, gave less than a 1% increase in the accuracy and the prediction of whether that person would be successful at Google or not. So as you can imagine, people at Google are probably making bank, especially if they're on an interview team. Um, they are... Uh, they're, they're probably highly paid. They probably are doing incredibly important work. And so to take an hour of their time to interview a candidate, um, that costs a lot of dough. And what Google found was, well, gosh, if we're getting less than a 1% increase in the accuracy, and we're already at 86% after four interviews on average, it's probably not worth anyone's time, especially the companies, to continue interviewing just for that less than 1% increase. So, uh, of course, not every company is Google. And I think that that's important to note uh, that for interviews might be slightly different depending on where you go. And one of the important things to point out here is that Google also provides their hiring teams a lot of information and a lot of training on how to interview. And that's, and that's definitely a factor as well, is how good 
are the people on your interviewing team? Um, how well have they been trained? Do they know what questions to ask? Have they been prepared to run an effective interview? Or are they meeting someone just like this is a casual chit chat, um, which can also be valuable. I, I won't downplay that. But yeah, that's that's obviously a big factor as well. Um, but I, I think regardless, one lesson that can be learned from Google is they set up their process so that they are going to make the most of that time in those initial interviews. Um, so that in those initial interviews, they're identifying with a pretty high degree of accuracy who's going to work, who's not going to work. Um, so the ideal number of steps, how many people? I think the answer is you want to limit that. Um, this this whole consensus, uh, like we need everyone in the company, everyone on the team to meet with them probably doesn't need to happen. Um, in fact, mm -hmm. throughout my career, I think that that just introduces, uh, it can introduce more bias. Um, it can introduce a, a number of different factors. If there's politics at your organization, that can kind of disrupt things. So I think you want to be really intentional, limit the amount of people involved in the interview process. Um, as far as stacking interviews, I think if you want to limit the amount of time that it takes uh, to interview someone, uh, I always recommend that. Like, yeah, yeah let's oh, yeah. let's get people back to back. Um, I think that that can be very valuable. But again, you want to limit the amount of people involved in the process. Um, you want to, as much as a company can be a democracy. <laughs> Right. It's it's not always best practice to have a democracy when it comes to hiring. Um, not everybody gets a vote uh, because that's just that's not how you effectively hire people. So um, limiting the amount of people, whether or not you stack interviews, have interviews back to back or not, um, I think that that is what is most important. There's one other big question here with an interview process, uh, specifically with a strategic position. Um, what about an assessment or a homework assignment? So we work with tons of hiring managers that want to throw out two, three hour homework assignments. And I put that in air quotes because they might ask things like, what is your plan for our 2023 budget? So what is your take on a homework assessment? How long should that take? Do we pay them? All that jazz. Ugh. Yeah, the amount of horror stories that I've heard from candidates uh, about homework assignments, assessments, whatever you want to call them, it's pretty crazy what some companies are doing out there. Um, so I guess to the very quick answer to this question is yes, I am totally on board with homework assignments um, for candidates. I think that they can be a really, really valuable tool, depending on the position, to understand how a candidate approaches work, what their level of expertise is, um, and also understand how they present information. Can they can they walk through their thought process? Can they present this information to you in a concise way that makes sense? Um, for a lot of positions, that's going to be vitally important is to be able to to talk about what they know not just know what they know so yeah i would i would say um i i 
certainly think that assessments can be valuable. Now, I think that the scope of assessments is where things start to get a little hairy. Um, there are some bad actors out there, uh, some companies who will ask for absolutely insane amounts of work, uh, free work from candidates. Uh, take it. I've heard horror stories of candidates then never hearing back. They're ghosted after right. dedicating eight hours of their time, completely unpaid, um, giving this company free work. I've heard of cases where that candidate then sees maybe not their exact work, but a representation of their work um, on a client's or a potential employer's website or in their social media, uh, which obviously is absolutely unacceptable and so, so beyond inappropriate. Um, but I think that the fact of the matter is any company that's providing an assessment or uh, giving an assessment to a candidate they should be doing so simply to evaluate the knowledge of the candidate. So you shouldn't be asking for free work necessarily. Um, it should not be something that you could then go on and use um, in, in your company. Um, I also think that the scope should be limited. So the amount of time that a candidate spends should be clearly outlined in the assessment itself, please spend no more than two hours. And for me personally, two hours feels like the absolute maximum amount of time that I would ask a candidate to devote. Um, and I think the question of whether you compensate someone for their assessment, uh, it's a tricky one as well. Um, Definitely, if you are asking someone to complete more than two hours of work, you should be paying that candidate. It doesn't matter if it's not actual work that you will utilize at your company. You should be paying that candidate for their time. If you are asking for more than two hours of someone's time. Now, I think less than that, there might be a little wiggle room, but uh but again, certainly if it's if it's work that you could potentially use on your website, in your social media, in, in any real way, you should be compensating that candidate. Um, so be sure to get their uh, their W nine and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and prep to get them paid. Cut that check, but but that's that's going to show the candidate that you're serious about their candidacy. It's also going to show them that you're ethical, that you're doing mm -hmm. the right thing. And uh, wouldn't you wouldn't you want that regardless of whether you're going to hire someone or not? Wouldn't you want all candidates to walk away feeling like, wow, that company was ethical. They respected my time. They know that I'm a busy person, uh, not only with my professional life, but my personal life. And they recognize that I dedicated some of my precious time to this company um, because I was excited about the opportunity. So yes on assessments for sure, but I think the scope needs to be very well defined both in what you're looking to get out of it, how you're going to assess that candidate, but also from the time uh, perspective. And I think for most companies, they should be very heavily considering paying 
those candidates at that stage as well. Also, I want I want to point out it's just as important to be realistic about what you're asking of these candidates. I have also received feedback from certain candidates where they were given an assignment and two hours max, but if they really wanted to put their best foot forward, it would have taken up to eight hours plus. And then I have heard from hiring managers perspective that they are automatically disqualified if they took more than the two hours. So I think it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of position. Hmm. So I would say it's it's just as important to be very realistic on how long it would take you to complete the assignment to ask of the candidates. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think, uh, yeah. It, and I think going back to like the structure of what makes a good process, like the who and the how, um, so who is this person from a knowledge, a level perspective, expertise perspective? How are they going to be successful in this role? So the assessment should be directly relevant to the challenges that they're going to experience in this position. Um, because why else are you giving an assessment? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, and, and, and also, again, like you mentioned, Lindsay, keeping the scope really well-defined, making sure that candidates very clearly understand the expectations of them from a time perspective, as well as from an execution perspective. Um, yeah, super, super important. All right, friends. So taking it all the way back to the top, let's get into the nitty gritty details of the who, the how, and then of course the success. So starting with the who, can you define exactly what that looks like? Yeah, so uh, in, in the process, you definitely have to start with who. Um, there's a great book for recruiting nerds out there. Uh, it's actually called Who. Um, uh, and it's a, it's by an organization, GH Smart. They're an executive recruiting uh, firm. And the whole first por portion of the book really focuses on their process for identifying who, not just the skills involved in a potential position. Um, so I think starting with who, you've got to answer three important questions. Um, one, what is this person actually going to be doing if they're truly excelling in their job? So we've all seen the giant list of bullet points in a job description of um, must be an excellent communicator, <laughs> written and verbal. Well, what does that mean exactly? Uh, how, how do you define whether or not someone's doing that successfully? Um, so, so really putting some definition around what each of those bullet points means. Um, two, what's going to make this person successful in accomplishing all they need to do? So, so what are the, what are those intrinsic characteristics that are going to make someone be really amazing at, at this position. Because if I'm hiring a software engineer where their role is going to be 90% head down coding all day, every day, and I ask them, well, what's your dream job? And they say, oh, well, I've always loved people. I just <laughs> would so excel in HR or sales because I just love chatting with people and people, people, people all day, every day. 
they're probably not going to be that happy about being a heads down uh, person who's writing code most of their day. And then the final question is, does everyone agree on those first two questions? So, um, so the first two questions are, what is this person actually going to be doing if they're truly excelling in their job? The second question is, what's going to make this person successful in accomplishing all they need to? And then the third question is, does everyone on that hiring team agree? Um, and I think that the number, <laughs> the third question is what a lot of hiring teams, what a lot of executive teams miss, especially when hiring in a leadership position, mm -hmm. because you might all agree on a, on a job description and the main challenges that this person is going to be addressing in their role. Let's just say we're hiring a chief revenue officer and they're overseeing a team of salespeople who, who haven't been hitting their quota consistently. Well, the CEO might think we need a CRO who's going to get in here, who has huge enterprise level relationships, who's going to bring that background and they're going to make the sales themselves. While the COO might think, well, yeah, we need someone to lift up the team in general, but this person needs to be a really strong people leader. They need to enable their team to be successful. We're looking for more of the mentor to lift the team up to hit that quota. Um, and then so on and so forth. Everybody might have a slightly different opinion of how this person is going to be successful in their role. Having those discussions up front is going to save you a whole heck of a lot of a headache down the road once you've identified successful candidates, um, once you've started the process, it's going to save you from restarting that process down the line. Yeah. So starting with who, answering those questions, that's, that's, that is where I would start for sure. The who is officially defined. So let's move on as to how do we actually execute this? Are we sourcing? Are we posting? What does that look like? Yeah. So the how is, is, is a lot of what we've kind of already covered. Um, and, and the rest of this, this call, um, and that's just about the process. So yeah, if it's bringing in recruiters, to go out and source and, and poach talent from competitors or, um, you know, however you're getting the candidates is really moot to the rest of the interview process. But we want a process that is going to be fast, that's going to be accurate, and that's going to be repeatable over time. So um, the, the quickness matters because top talent doesn't stay on the market for too long. It, uh, uh, top talent tends to tends to get a job very quickly. Uh, fast also matters because hiring managers, leadership doesn't want to wait. Uh, they want to find their ideal person so that they can get them hired, get the help that they need and move on. The accuracy comes in because speed can't sacrifice accuracy. Uh, a, a bad hire, even by the most conservative estimates, uh, can cost a company upwards of 20% of their annual salary. Um, and that's only after they leave. So imagine 
Imagine also paying that person while they're being toxic or while they're not doing anything at all. Uh, it, it costs a lot, a bad hire. Um, it, it just can't be overstated how much a bad hire can, can impact an organization. Um, the repeatable comes in as you continue to grow as an organization. So do we have a process in place that is fast? that is accurate, that constantly delivers the results that we expect, which is a top grade A hire that's successful, that fits in well at our organization, um, who is successful. Uh, that's going to be important down the road, uh, really defining what that process looks like and how it can be applied to other positions really easily. So we've got it. We've got the how, we have the who, we have defined everything. So for all of you data nerds, data leaders out there, how are we going to measure success with each of these hires? Yeah, well, this kind of, uh, it's nice because it's it's kind of cyclical, right? So it, taking us all the way back to the beginning when we were thinking about who and what challenges this person is going to be tackling, how we're going to understand how they're going to be successful in the organization. Um, we can tie this very directly to how we measure that success once we've identified that person, once we've extended that offer, and once they're onboarded and in the job. Um, you can tie that to performance management. Um, so uh, understanding uh, throughout those questions in the who, uh, questions, we can trace these same skills to, uh, to that performance management piece. In this way, we have a real-time view of how well the interview process did at evaluating these key skills of a candidate. Um, and ultimately, too, this will also help us identify whether or not we were evaluating the right skills, right? Because someone might get into a position and they're performing 100% in the three main criteria that we identified at the start that our hiring team decided was going to be uh, the, the, the top skills, um, the top things that would make this person successful. Well, then they get into the job, they're doing well in those three things, but the team's still underperforming. Uh, for example, going back to the chief revenue officer, um, well, maybe we didn't identify the right things at the start. Uh, so it wasn't a failure of the interview process to identify that person. It was actually uh, a failure of the executive team, the hiring team, on identifying what skills were necessary to be successful in this role. Um, so it's not, the, it's not a failure of the interview process. We're truly identifying where the failure happened, which is going to help us then make the right hire next time and be more intentional about making that right hire next time. So I think um, measuring success too, it, or lack of success also uh, is, is just as important um, throughout this whole process. Well, thank you everyone for uh, listening to us jabber on and, and totally nerd out on interview process. As you can probably tell, we're pretty passionate about this stuff. Um, if, if any questions whatsoever come up for you as you're designing your interview process, 
We are always here to chat, always here to nerd out, to consult, uh, to help you define and design your ideal process to find your ideal candidate. So feel free to reach out to us. We're always available. You can find us at www.foundconsulting.info. And of course, you can find our podcast, Reworking Talent, on all major streaming platforms. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing guests that we have coming up, as well as the nerdy recruiting talent, uh, content that we uh, that we plan to release. Um, these kind of quick hit, uh, nice little tidbits for those of you that are growing your company. So thank you so much for joining us. Lindsay and I, from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate all of the support and we are excited to uh, have you as a listener.